Well, we come on to our sermon this morning, Word and Spirit. That's what I want to talk to you about today, Word and Spirit. And um, let me just, just encourage you for a moment. I think this is a, a good sermon series. Hopefully, we've not said anything in the last couple of weeks. You've thought, really, that's part of the the vision that you, you think we share? Word and Spirit. You see, as we consider Word and Spirit, I've got just a couple of thoughts for us today. I would observe to you that some parts of the church are very excited about the Word. Some parts of the church are very excited about the Word. In fact, they're so excited about the accumulation of knowledge, they become almost consumed by it. They want to know as much as they can. They drink in learning every opportunity they get. They're always trying to find out something new. And these people can be great. They can be a great encouragement to us. In fact, I think that's a great thing to want to know more about who God is. But my note of caution is, if we end up with more up here than in here, A relationship becomes a religion. Rules to live by. Equally, other parts of the church are consumed by a desire to see what God can do. God can do amazing things. God's miracles at work in our lives continue today. I'm going to explain that statement in just a moment. But parts of the church get so excited for what God can do, seeing what God can do through them, wanting those things, seeking after those things, believing for those things. My note of caution is that we don't want to be people who are more excited about what God can do rather than who God is. We want to be people that love Jesus, the people of the cross, Christians, you know, the name Christians was given to us originally as a slight. It was intended to offend us. It was intended to be derogatory. Little Christs. That's what Christians means. Little Christs. What an amazing thing to be called. <laughs> and what the world meant to insult us, we took as our name. The church often was called the people of the way also. The people of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Word and Spirit, they point us back to Jesus. And that's what we need. We need to be pointed back to Jesus. I believe God can do amazing miracles still today. I said I'd come back to that statement. I don't want to be sensational, but God can do amazing things. Sometimes parts of the church get terribly carried away with wanting to see God do the things that he does, and we lose sight of the everyday miracles in our own lives. You like 
me this morning woke up. That's a gift from God. You're breathing in and out. God designed you that way, but it's a miracle from God. Every good and perfect gift, a gift from God. What is a miracle apart from an extraordinary gift from God? As we gather in church this morning, whether you're here in Stone or or there in Ainsford, perhaps you're in Blossom's Care Home tuning in online. The fact that we can be church in these settings is a gift from God. The fact that we can be Christians at all, little Christs. People emulating and reflecting and walking in the way of Jesus. That's a miracle. Spurgeon used to say that every message was a race to the cross. That's a miracle. The cross of Christ is a miracle at work in our lives. By his stripes we are healed. By his grace we're set free. By the cross of Christ we find hope and redemption and relationship. And there is nothing that we can do, nothing. There is nothing so big that it can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that you can't turn away from that you've done wrong. No moment, no sin. Nothing that you can do that the cross can't overcome. And yes, some parts of the church want to talk about miracles. Amazing signs of healing, signs and wonders. And actually, I think signs and wonders continue to follow the people of God, people walking in the way. In fact, the word says signs and wonders will follow. Because it's not about the signs and the wonders, it's about the Savior. As we focus on Jesus, God does amazing things. And whether it's those everyday miracles that we can grow complacent, used to, normal. As C.S. Lewis used to put it, we pray for the miraculous and then in a moment it happens and we begin to explain it away. God continues to move by power for his glory, for our good, because he is a good father who loves us. Every good and perfect gift that we have, a gift from God himself. And so I think we need to be just as excited about the Word and the Spirit equally because God is still at work. What could be more exciting than God coming to make his home in our hearts? The Counselor coming to help us live out the Word of God, the truth of God. Another great passage says that all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, reproofing. You know, that's written in the New Testament, and therefore the New Testament can't have been finished. And so we must be talking about the Old Testament. It's easy to be excited about the New Testament as new covenant believers. That new covenant being the difference from the old covenant, the law. We are people of the new covenant trusting in Christ, the grace of God at work in our lives through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. It's easy to be excited about the New Testament, but the Old Testament is commended to us as truth. 
I once, I once read the words of a, a great man and he managed to distill the whole calling of God upon our lives, the whole of the law, the whole of the Old Testament into two instructions. I wonder if you can work out who I'm talking about. He said the key is to love God. That's rule one, love God. And second, to love your neighbor as yourself. People who think that the word of God is a rule book, let me put you right. Let me share some right thinking with you. It's not about rules. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. Not many people would want to argue with that, I'm sure. It's a pretty great summary of what the Word of God says. In fact, we're instructed to do two things and asked to do one more. And the one more is to go out into all the world and make disciples, sharing with them the love of God, loving them by serving them. It's an extension of those two rules, love God and love your neighbor. And how are we told to love our neighbor? Well, we're told to love our neighbor as ourselves. Time and again, as I spend time in the Word, I'm struck by the character of God. His love for us, His kindness to us. God, who is all powerful, who could come down with righteous anger and wipe out this person, that person, offering up his judgment upon us, but instead comes to us with great grace and tenderness. I'm shocked how many times God chooses to encourage me, or if I was God, I would have a harsh word to share. I'm thankful that God's character remains the same. God of grace and mercy, but also great judgment, because the judgment of God the wrath of God, the righteousness of God, and the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, make up one whole. And in Christ, we see this beautiful picture of what it is to be a believer. Righteousness and faith, love and grace. I don't know why I'm surprised by the character of God. I mean, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He remains consistent yesterday, today, and forever. The Word informs us about the character and the heart of God. When we spend time in the Word, it's so amazing to me that God chose to give us a book of stories rather than a systematic theology or a long set of complicated rules to live by. I guess what I'm saying is there's no formula to seeing God work other than faithfulness. That's what God's calling us to today. That's what it looks like to be people of the way, bringing his word to bear in our lives, reading it, understanding it, meditating on it, and walking in the Spirit. Paying attention to God. That as he lays something upon our hearts, as he convicts us of sin, as he directs us in a better way to go, as he challenges us, teaching, rebuking, reproofing, the goodness of God, his best for us. That's what we're being invited into.
we like children are invited to ask. And God, as a loving heavenly father, does what is right in his eyes. Can I share just a couple of thoughts with you this morning? Just five observations. First, God is consistent. I've already said it, let me say it again. If you've not written it down, write it down. God is consistent. I don't know why that's surprising when we consider that God is eternal. But his character, his goodness, is so much greater than our own. Secondly, I think if we want to practice faithfulness, the key is to humble ourselves. If we want to live with a greater measure of the Lord's leading, we need to humble ourselves. We need to ask him to lead us. His spirit at work in our lives, how do we know that? Well, we humble ourselves. And in humbling ourselves, by humbling ourselves, by practicing faithfulness to him, by putting him first, living his way rather than our own. You know, this is the great counter-cultural call of the Lord is that if we're to be people living according to the word, full of the spirit of God, we're not living for ourselves. This is what I mean when I say we're living for an audience of one. We're living for Jesus. We're living with God watching. And that's either terribly worrying or wonderfully encouraging. It's all a question of perspective. Third, God is kind. Isn't kindness an undervalued commodity in the modern world? The Bible says a kind word turns away wrath. God is kind to us. Grace is the kindness of God. The opportunity to choose to follow Jesus. God is kind to us. God forgives us the kindness of God. Jesus dying on the cross, it seems more than kind. Kind seems like it's insufficient, a word. God's kind to us that while we were still sinners, far from him, estranged from him, Jesus dies on the cross. God is kind. I find myself marveling at the kindness of God and I don't know why, because God is for us, not against us. He's a good father. Fourth, Jesus asks us to do some things. If we're going to be people of the word, the whole of the word is distilled down into these two things he asks, that he instructs us to do. And one request of us, that we would join him in his mission, that we would be people living for him, that we would live for God, putting God first in our lives. That's hugely countercultural in a world obsessed with me. And that we would live for one another. You can't be a Christian in isolation. After two years, that might come as a shock. You might think, well, actually, we're getting quite good at it now. But we belong to one another. 
I'm sure that's why God calls us his family. I'm sure that's why we're called not to not to be Christians in isolation, not to give up the pattern of meeting together. We belong to one another. God's majesty is on display through one another as we spend time in one another's company. We see a little bit of God at work. We're encouraged in fellowship. God tells us to love him, to love one another, and to make disciples. And fifth, last of all, God never promised us an easy life. In fact, quite the opposite. One great story from the word in Acts 11 talks about Stephen and how Stephen says, the Spirit told me he's instructed to do something. God tells him to do something. He lays it on his heart and then he goes to do it. And do you know what happens right after Stephen finishes doing what he's been instructed by the Lord to do? Stephen is stoned to death. Nobody said it was easy. All those times you've heard a person say that if you become a Christian, the Lord will be there to wipe every tear from your eye. You'll never have a bad day again. You'll, your life will look like a yogurt advert, basically. Skipping and tennis and long walks in the park. Nobody's life is like that. Don't fall into that gap of missed expectations, that expectation gap. Don't be fooled by the Instagram stories, the TikTok parodies, and the Facebook posts. The truth is that God loves you more than you will ever understand. And the truth is that he has made a way for you to spend eternity in paradise with him, in heaven with him. Nothing could be better than that. Don't sacrifice your here and now. Don't sacrifice your eternity with him. Nobody said it would be easy. Perhaps you're thinking, but nobody said it would be this hard. Here's the thing. What the Lord does promise, he promises it in his word, and I'm sure of it in my spirit. God promises that he will never leave or forsake us. That he will give you his strength and his wisdom. The word says those of you who are lacking in wisdom, ask, and it will be given to you. Another great passage says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Brothers and sisters, let's seek the Lord's joy. Let's walk in his strength. God is on his throne. The word is full of wonderful stories. In fact, if you live out a tenth of the truth that you find in the word, you're going to find that your life is full of the miraculous work of God. In fact, I would suggest that it already is. Don't you see it? Signs and wonders will follow. God first, in accordance with his word. Signs and wonders. One final thought for you. 
So often I hear people talking about what they want to do for Jesus. What will I do for him? What will my role be? How can I be significant? How can I learn my calling? How can I walk in my purpose? It's a huge area of Christian literature today. But it's really simple. If you want to see God at work in your life, if you want to be useful to the Lord, practice faithfulness. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. We all have moments where we struggle. We have weeks in church where numbers are low. We have moments in life where we're brought to our knees. And we can either be humbled in those moments and look to Christ, or we can fight our feelings. We can ask ourselves, what will I do? How will it be for me? What will my portion be? Or we can turn to the Lord, recognize his spirit close at hand in our very hearts, God making his home in our hearts. We can open the word and see as he illuminates scripture before us. What do I mean by that? Perhaps you're new, perhaps you've never had this experience. It's one of my favorite things. As you read your Bible, sometimes it's like you've never read it before. You're reading and you read through a passage and it's like lightning strikes. You read something and it just speaks directly to your heart. The illumination of Scripture by the power of the Spirit. Word and Spirit alive and at work in our lives. That's my prayer for you this morning. You know, that's why we encourage you to read your Bibles. It's not it's not so you can win sword drills on Sunday mornings. You know, the funny game where we try and find the passage at the start of the service and on those weeks where the kids are in and we're having a big old family service and people are trying to find it as quick as they can and... Perhaps you've never experienced that. It's a lot of fun. It's not so that we can brag about how many days we've done our quiet time between this Sunday and next. It's because when we open the Word of God, you know, the Bible talks about the Word of God being like a double-edged sword, a spiritual weapon designed for your good, purposed by God, to help you cut through the lies of the enemy so that you might walk in the light of Christ more fully. As we spend time in the Word, as the Spirit calls us into a deeper relationship with God, my prayer for you this week, my challenge to you this week, is to be people of word and spirit. Love the word. Let God speak to you and minister to you through his word. As the Holy Spirit, who's made a home in your heart the moment you give your life to Christ, the helper, the counselor, stirs your heart. Be changed by him. Find his joy. Find his strength, his wisdom. And as you practice faithfulness, 
you'll better understand your purpose. Just this week I heard somebody say that they had worked out their purpose in life. And they said that the purpose of life, not just theirs but all of ours, the purpose of life is to live purposeful lives. When I was a child at school, they told me that you couldn't use the word to define the word when defining a word in a comprehension setting. I think they've missed the point entirely. The purpose of life isn't living a purposeful life. Our purpose in life is finding purpose in Jesus. Finding ourselves in Jesus. Finding ourselves at the feet of the cross of Jesus. I think what they were trying to say is, you need to have something that you're living for. And then they were encouraging people, and I don't think they knew Jesus, they were encouraging people to work out for themselves what that purpose might be. To find something that they were willing to give up the whole of their lives for. When you give your life to Jesus... The Holy Spirit comes and makes a home in your heart. That's what we teach the kids. And we teach them it because it's true. That the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come and make his home in your heart. And he's going to encourage you and he's going to help you. And as we read the word, sometimes he brings it to life. It's like color being turned on on a black and white tally. like that first sip of coffee in the morning. <laughs> the world becomes a brighter and happier place. We want to be people of the word, full of the spirit of God. We know that the word is true, that it's reliable. Some people throw around great theological terms like the inerrancy of scripture. God's instruction manual for life and for understanding the world. I guess my, my prayer, just to tell you exactly what I'm praying, is that the Spirit would stir faith, that as we spend time in the Word, it would produce fruit, that we would more fully be walking in grace, full of purpose and peace. Perhaps I can pray for us as we close this morning. Father God, we want to be your people. We want to know your word. Store it deep within our hearts. Father, we want to be full of your, your spirit. Stir your spirit in us, we pray. Help us to more fully live out the calling you've placed upon our lives. As we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We thank you for the goodness of God, for the friendship of Christ, for the Holy Spirit making his home in our hearts, for the word of God, sharper than two-edged sword.
We thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace to us. We ask for more of you, more of your kingdom, more of your life in our hearts and in the hearts of those that we love. We ask for more of you in Jesus' name. Amen.